Well, hello, I'm Tony Payne, and welcome to another edition of The Painful Truth, my weekly text and audio journal. And one of the things that I'm learning so far as I embark on this new experiment is that, as I suspected, I really do know nothing. Last week's uh, post on the yeah, but defense, which both my wife and I thought was, you know, okay. Ali always proofs every edition of The Painful Truth and gives me her opinion before I send it out. And we both thought, look, it was a reasonable and perfectly adequate little post. Of course, it turned out to be the most popular post uh, on The Painful Truth so far by some margin. Twice as many people uh, viewed and shared that article as any other. So go figure. And quite a number of you uh, have contacted me since regarding the little P.S. that I mentioned at the end about my hobby horse, about church and worship, and asking if I would say more about that. Now, for some of you, uh, me saying more on the subject of worship and church is sort of grown worthy, um, not, not that old thing again. And I have to confess, I share that reluctance a little bit. I'm not super keen to trawl back through all that material again, about which I've, I've already written quite a bit over the years. Those of you who want to chase up some of that material, I'll give you some references uh, below or in the PS. However, I think there is something important to say, and I think fresh to say, that relates not only to that hobby horse topic, but to nearly every other topic we grapple with as we try to apply the Bible's truth to our particular situation. And this fresh thing to say is, is something I've been thinking about quite a lot over the last few years, the last three years or so in particular, not only in relation to the whole question of discipleship and disciple-making, which arose out of the whole trellis and vine thing and all the seminars and conversations that followed that book, but it also came in the methodological part of my PhD work that I've now completed. I began to think about this subject and I've dwelt on it quite a lot, and I'd like to riff on it for a little while, both in this week's edition and next week's. It comes in two parts, this week's and next week's. And those of you who are keen to think further about church and worship will have to wait patiently for the end of next week's episode before we get back to that topic. But the subject I want to approach is the subject of apprenticeship. But before we talk about apprenticeship, I want to talk about words. Because it's funny how words shift and slip. The word myself, for example, now apparently means the same thing as the word me. Uh, as in, you know, if you'd like to know more, please come and see myself after the meeting. There was a time when the word me would have done perfectly well in that sentence, but for some reason these days we have to say myself. And another example, my kids were aghast recently when they discovered that I didn't know that the word beard does not only mean uh, some hairy facial appendage, that it also means a woman who marries or accompanies a gay man in order to help conceal his homosexuality. Now, I may have just discovered this new word meaning in time for it to become totally redundant because no one seems very interested in concealing their homosexuality these days. But it does illustrate the constantly morphing, shifting, wonderfully inventive nature of words and language. And there's nothing wrong with this. It's how language does its thing. We're always inventing new and creative ways to describe reality. But the shifting, slipping nature of words does occasionally mislead us or get in the way of clear communication. And we know this well enough when we're, for example, trying to communicate some aspect of the gospel to completely 
unchurched people, we often discover to our slight frustration that what we mean by words like sin or faith or even God bears little resemblance or relation to what our hearers might think those words signify or what they're about. So imagine how annoying it must be for the Bible. Because the Bible is mostly a very simple, plain-speaking sort of communicator. The Bible enjoys using normal, everyday words. Words that, in their original context, were as about as religious or technical as, as words we use, like dog or rock or washing machine or some other very everyday word. But over time, words shift and slip and change and evolve, and they gather connotations and associations. And so to the Bible's enormous frustration, well, it would annoy me anyway if I was the Bible, many of the Bible's everyday, ordinary sort of words have become specialised in-house religious words over time, with a whole raft of extra meanings and associations. And so the ordinary everyday Bible word that means ask for something, we now call to pray. Or the word that means just assembly or gathering, we translate with the rich, tradition-laden Christian word church. And the words that mean something like honour or serve someone, we now call worship. And this happens in lots of cases with lots of Bible words. And it's kind of an inevitable result and consequence of the nature and manner of language and how it changes. And the word disciple, the English word disciple, is a fascinating case in point. Along with its related words like discipling and disciple making and discipleship. The word disciple has become a kind of special Christian word with quite a range of different sort of connotations and associations. A disciple might be a follower of Jesus. Uh, to disciple someone is to mentor them, to mentor especially a younger believer in the faith, perhaps to follow up a new believer. Disciple making is like evangelism, especially more kind of individual level evangelism. Discipling might mean one-to-one -one Bible reading, as in I'm meeting with them to disciple them. And sometimes it refers to the daily practical side of Christian belief. You know, that's all very well, that sermon, but what does it have to do with my discipleship? And in some cases, the word disciple refers to a kind of pastor or a department in very large churches, like the discipleship pastor, and so on. The word disciple is elastic like that. It means lots of things to us. But in the Bible, the word we translate as disciple or to make disciples is one of those ordinary, everyday, straightforward sort of words. In Greek, it's the word mathetes, the noun mathetes, or the verb mathetuo. It pops up a couple of hundred times in the Gospels and Acts. And according to the standard Greek dictionary that we use to uh, track these things, it's known in the trade as the BDAG, the word mathetes or mathetuo refers to someone who engages in learning through instruction from another, or someone who is rather constantly associated with someone who has a pedagogical reputation or a particular set of views. And pedagogical is a fancy word for a teacher or teaching reputation. And so if we were using correspondingly everyday English words, we would call that sort of person perhaps a student or a learner or a pupil, or even better, an apprentice. Because an apprentice in English is a particular kind of student or learner. 
Apprentices associate themselves with a particular person, with a specific teacher over a period of time. Very often that's a master craftsman, like a plumber or a carpenter or an electrician, and you associate yourself or sign up with this teacher or craftsman in order to be instructed by them and to learn from them over time. An apprentice carpenter binds himself to a master carpenter for a period of some years and learns from the carpenter not only the key knowledge that he needs and requires, but learns the practical wisdom that puts that knowledge to effective use in, in different circumstances. And so an apprentice carpenter not only learns what a hammer is and does in theory, but how to use one and when to use one. Now, this is the kind of student amathetes or disciple was in the New Testament. They were the kind of students who not only sought to learn just a subject or a body of knowledge, as we would do, say, if we went to university to study physics, they were the kind of students who left their nets to follow a particular teacher and to learn the knowledge-based practice that the teacher or the master knew and exemplified and taught. And it's in this sense that the Christian life is that kind of apprenticeship. We commit ourselves in the Christian life in faith to the one who is now our master, our Lord, the Lord of heaven and earth, repenting of our sins, repenting of our former sinful allegiances, and beginning a whole new existence, committing ourselves to a whole new path of learning as his forgiven and redeemed apprentice. And then what follows after that, of course, is a lifetime of learning his words and commands and a corresponding lifelong practice of living out those words and commands in, in every facet of our lives. Now, as you may have spotted, this is really a restatement or a summarizing of Jesus' Great Commission to make apprentices of the nations or disciples of the nations by initiating them or baptizing them into a new life under his lordship and then teaching them to keep all his commandments until the end of the age. And this idea of the Christian life as an apprenticeship, well, it has many rich, I don't know, overtones, you might say, or implications. And in next week's post, I want to explore one in particular, that is how we read and apply the Bible to our lives as apprentices. But at this point, it's worth noting just how helpful the concept of apprenticeship is for clarifying some of the many, sometimes confusing, connotations that have arisen around the English word disciple. And I just want to take a couple of examples. First off, an apprenticeship is much more than an intellectual education, but it is never less than an intellectual education. See, we tend to think of discipling and discipleship and that kind of zone as being more practical in its concerns and its focus. But apprenticeship to Jesus is just as much about knowledge and theology and conviction as it is about everyday life and practice. This idea of apprenticeship nicely brings together what we often separate. That is, on the one hand, a deep knowledge of the truth of God's revelation in Christ in all its multifaceted brilliance. And on the other hand, the life and action that this truth brings forth, that it directs us towards, that it schools us in, that it equips us for. Christian 
teaching and learning is always directive in that sense. It always points us towards a new life of action as God's people. And correspondingly, Christian action is always principled. It always draws upon a theological understanding of the world that is learned at the feet of Christ. You could say that apprenticeship is transformative learning. It's the kind of learning that is intimately and always connected with transformation of heart and life. And this is a very good description of what Christian learning, that is learning Christ, is really about. Secondly, if Christian apprenticeship, or discipleship, let's say apprenticeship, is this kind of learning, then it can't really be confined to one particular zone or location of life, and that's especially the personal zone. It can't be confined to personal mentoring or one-to-one Bible reading or small groups, which is often how we think of discipling and discipleship. The truth is that our regular Sunday gatherings are a central flagship time in which we are apprenticed to Christ as a community of his people. Sunday church is apprentice time. It's where we hear his word and learn it. It's where we also learn to lovingly serve one another in multiple ways and in which we respond to our Lord as our teacher. In this sense, every pastor, and especially the senior pastor, is an apprenticeship pastor or a discipleship pastor, if you wish. They are all seeking to teach Christian apprentices to know the commands of Christ and to keep them. Apprenticeship is a good description of everything we do in Christian ministry. It's to build and make and grow apprentices of Jesus Christ through the word and prayer and that being lived out every day in life. And thirdly and finally, it's interesting that the English word apprentice nicely captures the imitative nature of the Christian life. Because apprentices learn in part by watching and imitating And that for us is not only by watching and imitating Christ as we meet him in the Gospels, but also those more mature Christian brothers and sisters who model his ways to us. As Paul puts it, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. That's from Philippians 3.17. But this theme of imitating the models, those who model Christ to us, and following and learning from their ways. It's a very common idea right throughout the New Testament. You find it in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, Philippians 4, 9, 1 Thessalonians 1, 6, and so on and so forth. I'm sure you can chase those up. Apprenticeship then is cognitive. It's always intellectual and about content. It's transformative. It's always about a change in life on the basis of that knowledge. And it's inherently relational. It's done with and between people. And our example and, our, and the reality of our lives with one another is part of how we learn. And these three aspects of Christian existence that we frequently struggle to hold together or end up emphasizing one or the other, it's interesting how well they're integrated in the concept of apprenticeship. So I'd like to suggest that instead of making disciples, we make apprentices. And instead of discipleship as a as a metaphor or a description of the Christian life, we talk instead about apprenticeship. And I guess all that remains then is to persuade our Bible translators how much clearer it would be for all of us if the Gospels began by Jesus calling the 12 apprentices and concluded with him sending out his apprentices to make apprentices of all nations.
Well, for those of you who want to chase up some of my earlier writing on the subject of church and worship, as promised, um, the best place to find that is probably in a series of articles that are in the Tony Payne collection, which is the embarrassingly, but I guess at least descriptively named anthology of essays and articles from my time at the briefing. That's available from Matthias Media in this in Australia or the US. Uh, you can get it from 10 of those in the UK or the Good Book Company in the UK as well. Um, or you can find it on the Kindle store as well on Amazon. And so you could chase up that material there. Thanks again also for those who've subscribed to The Painful Truth. And I'd really encourage you to do that as soon as possible if you haven't already over at the website. That's at thepainfultruth.substack.com. Dot com, and that ensures that you hear about each episode as it comes out. It gets emailed straight to your inbox and you can just click on it and, uh, and go straight to the audio version since that's probably what you're going to use since you're listening to this. In any case, thanks very much for being with me for this episode. It's been a pleasure as always. My name's Tony Payne. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.